right, and what you need to know today, there's a new report from the Southern Education Foundation that reveals profound inequality. We're going to learn the latest statistics on the state of education for students of color and low-income students in the Southern United States. And on the hotline, we got Raymond Pierce, president and CEO of the Southern Education Foundation, and Megan, I believe it's Crow, I hope I got that right, Senior Research and Policy Analyst, Southern Education Foundation. And how are we doing today there, Raymond? We're doing good? Doing well. Thanks for having us on your show. Ah, my pleasure. So first question is, uh, can you explain what is the Southern Education Foundation and when and why was it created, actually? The Southern Education Foundation is the oldest uh, education opportunity organization uh, in the the United States. We were created uh, right after the Civil War. Um, Actually, our origins began just before the Civil War began when Mm -hmm. Uh, there were arguments, particularly from the North, that the United States was getting behind uh, economically uh, and internationally as the Europeans were embracing the Industrial Revolution, whereas the United States was uh, wedded strongly to the agrarian agriculture economy. And not only that, half the labor was enslaved in a barbaric system. And so uh, folks like George Peabody, uh, George Peabody considered one of the wealthiest men in the nation at that time, mm-hmm. uh, when the war ended and he felt that the government was moving slow on educating uh, African-Americans, uh, he created the Peabody Fund in 1867, a million dollars, which at that time was a lot of money uh, to um, to, get at, to get black folks educated. And so he felt that the the government's move uh, to educate was moving a little slow, so he created this fund to build schools and buy books and train teachers. And then shortly thereafter, another very wealthy philanthropist, John Slater, did the same thing, created the Slater Fund to do the same thing, build schools and buy books and train teachers. And then a few years later, Anna Jean who herself was an abolitionist. She uh, was a, considered one of the wealthiest women in the nation, and, and she financed a lot of the abolitionist movement, the movement to end slavery in the United States. Well, when the war ended, Anna Jeans put up a million dollars uh, a few years later to create the Jeans Fund. And that fund was, uh, was specifically uh, focused on creating teachers, training people to be teachers in the southern states. Well, eventually all these funds were consolidated to mm-hmm. form what is now uh, the Southern Education Foundation in 1934. But well before we worked, the, the funds were consolidated uh, and, and back during Reconstruction period after the Civil War. All those funds uh, were engaged in working with the African-Americans in the South who had just come out of slavery uh, to put legislation on the books to create taxes to pay for what the philanthropists, what mm-hmm. the wealthy people were paying for, to pay for the books, to pay for the teachers, to pay for the books. So public education uh, system in the South uh, has its origins in the, what is now the Southern Education Foundation. So we continue our, our work to advance education opportunity uh, for African-Americans and students of color. Uh, in fact, our charter back in 1867, I think the Peabody Fund said uh, for the newly emancipated population and poor whites that mm-hmm. the funds were to create education opportunities for uh, people coming out of slavery and poor whites so that uh, the poor whites would not slip back into that barbaric system of thinking of enslaving people. And so we continue to this day, you know, to, to, to advance that mission of education opportunity through our research, what we're talking about here today. We've always, for many, many years, uh, all 100 years, conducted research to guide policies and practices so that we come up with the best practices for an educa- massive education system like the one we have. Uh, we also continue to work with our leadership development operation to develop leaders in the South, primarily as superintendents and principals, and then our advocacy operation that advocates um, with policymakers, state elected officials, 
uh, to promote more equitable uh, education policies and practices uh, for the betterment of the entire uh, region, if not the entire nation. That is the Southern Education Foundation. Wow. All right. Well, appreciate that. Uh, Megan, I'm going to have you jump in here right now, and uh, you're going to tell us how many students of color and low-income students there are living in poverty in the South. Sure. So across the South, we know that black and Hispanic people overall are actually living in poverty at nearly twice the rate of white people. Uh, More than one in five black and Hispanic people are in poverty, as well as their children. So one in five children under 18 is living in poverty, and more than one in five children under five are living in poverty. We also know that across the uh, southern states, 46% of all children in the U.S. that are in poverty reside here but only 41% of children overall are in these states. So the, the problem is worse in the South than across the nation. Right. So when we talk about the South, we're talking about like Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi. Is that what we're talking about? So the Southern Education Foundation has a 17-state footprint that's all the way from Texas up into Maryland and Delaware in those southeastern states. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not exactly the same south that is the census south, but it does include uh, many of the same states. Gotcha. So really we are looking at the SEF region, but that, you know, typically what we find in the SEF region is going to align very closely with what is uh, the South overall from the federal standpoint. Gotcha. Basically, uh, every state that uh, had lawful slavery before the breakout of the Civil War, mm-hmm. uh, and even in, in some states um, that have portions of their territories uh, that allow for lawful um, slavery. That's the footprint of the Southern Education Foundation. Gotcha, gotcha, and and it's it's good to know. So the the deal also is that uh, Raymond, what we really need to know is what did the report reveal? Megan. Yeah, you there? Oh, Megan wants to do that. Megan, what did the, the re- economic? Yeah. That's okay. Uh, The economic vitality and education in the South report really revealed two main things, and that is that there are myriad inequities that exist in children's lives beyond the school. So within their communities, there's reduced access to healthy food or medical services. Uh, Their parents don't have the same employment opportunities. And that these inequities that exist disproportionately for black and brown students affect their outcomes in schools more than what happens in the schools themselves. So the major call to action from the Eves report is for policymakers to address a social determinant of education framework that addresses all of these other factors that affect how children are able to perform in schools and pass policies and practices accordingly to support all those aspects of children's lives. Uh, is there like a move to get uh, people in, in poverty like this into the digital world right now? And 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 the deal is to to move people forward into this whole new world of where people are working out of their homes and doing digital. Is there is there a program for that with uh, that you that you're moving people into or? Well, well, I wouldn't call it so much a program. We definitely have a policy on that. Mm-hmm. That's what uh, has been long time known as the digital divide. Right. Um, and this has existed long before the pandemic, but the pandemic highlighted this because when school districts had to close because of the, the COVID outbreak and sent students home to learn remotely, um, we realized yet again uh, that the disparities that exist then. Many students live in communities where there's no Internet access, yeah. or they live in homes that don't yeah. have Internet, or they live in homes that don't have laptops. 
Yeah. When you live in homes where there's no parent or guardian or, or someone who can help the child mm-hmm. um, uh, navigate through the techno- the technical aspects of, of learning online. Yeah. Um, but the digital divide is real. It is very, very real. And um, and so, to uh, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, the digital age has 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 uh, promoted education techniques uh, into ways that we never would have thought of. But we have to understand that not all children, not all communities, can begin from the same starting point. There yeah. are communities, as this report points out, that um, um, are depressed in terms of being able to participate. Yeah. Um, in, a, in a digital learning environment. See, Raymond, you bring up a really good point there, and it did come out during this whole pandemic. You had areas, and you know, I'm up in the Northeast here, where children were sent home to do the virtual learning, and like you said, they didn't have internet, or they didn't have reliable internet. They didn't have the computers, they didn't have the skills, they didn't have somebody there at home that, that may have had the skills. Uh, like you said, the parents may had to have gone out to work because there was no other income coming in. So you bring up some really valid points over here, and hopefully we can start to address some of those inequalities. And, and making to talk more you know, specifically about this and, and more eloquently, because she's the author of the report. Yeah. But students are being sent home to learn remotely, um, and they don't have food. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, to, to large populations in this country, um, children get their nutrition from school, yeah. you know, from free lunch or free breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when they're sent home um, with a parent working two jobs, you know, the working poor, um, and now the mother has to come up or the father has to come up uh, with food for that breakfast and that lunch and for that child where before that was um, uh, being addressed at, at the school. So there's, just, there's, there's a myriad of, of disparities or determinants, as, as Megan you know, refers to in the report, that impact the child's ability to learn. And, and Megan that does have incredible communication skills. i got to give her that. She, she really does. So, um, Megan, i got to ask you, so... This report was really profound in how it does point out the inequality. So how can we help? What can we do? Uh, You know, the best thing I think that everyone can do is just getting involved in, you know, the political system. Local and district voting is very, very important. Voting and communicating with your state legislators is very, very important. Uh, People can go find more information on our website at southerneducation.org. You can read the report. You can see the data as it exists in uh, those 17 states that the SEF region covers. We did look at each state individually so that policymakers have a better idea of exactly which issues are larger within their state. Uh, But I think also just being a part of the conversations, knowing what's going on in your local school board, attending those meetings and telling your representatives what you want for your children. Uh, But I think the biggest thing, too, is just to recognize we're all in this together. And for better or for worse, everyone does better when we're all working together to achieve things. If we treat uh, the challenges that are facing the most underserved among us, we will ultimately be treating the challenges of our nation. I totally agree with you. And uh, I'll tell you, maybe one day I'll, I'll see you running for something. How is that a possibility, Megan, or what? <laughs> You're not the first person who said that to <laughs> well, me. This, so it's an idea that floats yeah. around in my brain for sure. You got my vote. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> this is great. And it was great to get this out there. And uh, I'm sure my listeners learned a lot today. And Raymond, thanks for the history lesson. That was great. Well, you're welcome.
You're welcome. I enjoy speaking with you. Yeah, I had a lot of fun too. So uh, we'll keep in touch. And uh, listen, this is something that I'm on board with. So thanks a lot for giving us all the great information. Raymond, Megan, thanks a lot for joining us today. Much appreciated. Thank you. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, thank you. My pleasure.